holiday festivities and obligations. If you're anything like me, uh, you have not yet showered since Christmas and instead have spent the entire day putting away toys, 75% of which my daughter will probably never use, but uh, such is life. Thankfully, to rescue me from um, my life for a few minutes is someone that I respect a great deal, and that's not only because we share the same first name, but because uh, he knows what he's talking about. If you've ever read anything he's written, uh, that much is is kind of, it smacks you in the face. Uh, And of course, I'm talking about Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report. Jonathan, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, and for those listening, I have showered in the past 24 hours, so uh, don't worry, I'm, I'm clean today. Listen, I, I wear my filth like a badge of honor uh, because as all the as all the dads out there know, it's like there's a list of priorities in the household and like dad's like upkeep and cleanliness is, is generally towards the bottom. So. Yeah, showering is towards the bottom of the pecking order. I understand. <laughs> um, so we're, we're right at about the time of the Knicks season where the attention is like smack dab in between the team itself, the guys who are already here and looking forward to um, the guys who may be here uh, come, come the draft in June. And I I think we're starting to skew a little bit towards the latter because uh, God knows the basketball has, has not been great uh, of late (laughs) with, with some exceptions, which we'll, we'll touch on, I guess. Um, But I thought maybe we would start out by talking a little bit about the draft. Um, so just for anybody who doesn't know, um, could you give an approximate estimation of how much college basketball you watch in like a given week? Cause that's what I'm most curious about. <laughs> um, I'd say about realistically five games a day. It's made a lot easier with DVR and with synergy where you can kind of zip through the stoppage time. But, uh, yeah. And, and of, of all NBA teams, I do watch the Knicks the most. I'm a New Yorker. I live a few minutes from the garden. So uh, a lot of Knicks basketball and obviously um, a lot of college at various points of the day. Sometimes you wake up early and watch. Sometimes you stay up late to watch. But uh, not such a bad gig. Uh, before we get into it, I'm just like curious. I know it's it's obviously a job for you, but do you have a preference, like which you actually enjoy more? You know, I, I, I like the, the, the college game. Obviously, in terms of level of play, it's like two different animals. And going from watching college to NBA is just, you know, total mind blow. But I like the fact that every year in college basketball, it's different. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm talking about new guys every season. Where in the NBA, 85% of the time, you know, I know LeBron's going to put up 25 and 8 and 8 every year. And I, you, know, you, you know the stats. You know who's going to be good. Um, and, and uh, of course, there's a couple breakout guys every year in the NBA. But college, I'm looking at new players every single year. I'm looking at a couple breakout guys every year. And uh, I just really enjoy watching, starting to watch most of these guys from high school and then to see how they progress in college. And then, of course, love watching their rookie years. Everybody loves watching rookies. So I, I do like the college aspect of, of the change. But, of course, nothing can compare to these NBA guys, which are just, you know, you realize how good they are when you have to go back and forth and watch college and NBA. So so you mentioned, like, uh, kind of seeing these guys progress from college to the NBA. How How often are you, 
like totally and completely shocked that a guy that comes into the NBA is just like absolutely nothing like you envisioned him from college. Does that happen like a few times a year? Does it happen once every five years? I mean, what's what's the rate on that? It happens. It happens every year. Um, and, and you know, the term NBA ready is a term I try and never use because you know certain things. The term NBA ready, you kind of look at a guy and say, okay, he's physically built. Uh, he's polished. He must be NBA ready. Whereas a guy like you know Jaron Jackson, who averaged ten points last year, you know five fouls every uh, twenty minutes, and and you know everything says that a guy like Jaron Jackson is considered a project, and here he is scoring twenty seven points the other night uh, against the Lakers and having a huge season, and um, you know Donovan Mitchell, a guy who uh, in college averaged as many assists as he did turnovers and shot forty percent from the field and was all over the place with his decision-making and such election. And then he averages 20 points as a rookie. I mean, you just can't predict some of this stuff. It's, it's wild and it, it's fascinating. And, um, you know, again, that term NBA ready, I hate, I try never to use it. Well, I think that's the perfect backdrop to getting into a discussion about guys that we're going to try to project <laughs> to how they're going to do at the NBA level. Yeah. Um, so you had a mock draft uh, that came out, uh, what is it, today or a couple days ago? Um, yeah, it came out this morning. came out this morning. Okay. So everybody go to Bleacher Report and check that out. Um, what I like is, is if you look at any mocks and then you look at yours, you're clearly not afraid to kind of go out on a limb and put forth some opinions that, you know, maybe the, the masses are, are not – um, carrying forth with yet um, maybe they'll get there in time but and just knowing your history you tend to be out front on a lot of stuff that people in time tend to start I guess maybe following your opinions um, right now uh, you have so the Knicks I guess are currently slotted third in the draft you have them taken uh, I guess a guy that would count as one of those surprises uh, John Morant from Murray State uh, sophomore point guard Generally speaking, what can you tell Knicks fans about the guy that you, if the season ended today, you would have slated to going to them? Well, I think it's also a reflection of this draft field, which is considered pretty weak after Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, who are the big names from Duke. And really after that, um, there's one big giant tier of guys who are very difficult to separate. And Morant is right now averaging 23 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. I mean, nobody in 25-plus years has even averaged 28 and 5, and he's on pace to shatter that. And he's just getting to conference play uh, where, you know, the competition in the Ohio Valley isn't very strong. He's a big-time athlete. I mean, I don't want to say he reminds me of De'Aaron Fox because there are differences here and there, but in terms of athleticism and physical tools for the point guard position, he reminds you of Fox with his speed, a guy who breaks down defenses, gets easy baskets in transition. I actually think he's a better setup passer than Fox is. Fox may be a little further ahead uh, in terms of his pull-up game, which I think is so important for point guards to have the ability to shoot off the dribble. Morant doesn't have that just yet. But, uh, man, in terms of natural talent, he is uh, the top point guard in this year's class, again, producing at a historic rate. I know the Knicks were just at his last game at Auburn, and he's seen, yep. he gets two, gets to play two power conference teams a year. Um, Alabama, who he put up 38 points on earlier in the month, and then Auburn, a heavily scouted game. Uh, a lot of scouts there just for Morant. He went for 25-8-7, kept the game close. So uh, he's a very exciting point guard. Weaknesses in his game. But based on the field, I think you got to put him in that tier after Williamson and Barrett and, and possibly for a team like the Knicks who may have to you know, take needs into account. I know teams don't typically do that in the draft. But if you can't separate players, they will use need as a tiebreaker. 
And uh, with Moudier and, and, and Burke just not very good in the first place, and Frank struggling, I think they will look at a point guard. Well, we're definitely going to talk about Frank before we leave here. I just want to touch on something you said quickly in terms of the, his, obviously, only two games this year against power conference opponents. Um, how much stock should the Knicks put into the fact that like he, he showed out in, in um, those two games? I think it's important. I mean, the, the, the guys he played against are, you know, they're, they're legit. They're this is a, one of the top 10 teams in the country. And he pretty easily on 14 shots went for 25, 8, and 7. I know he turns the ball over a bit too much, but his workload is pretty heavy. Uh, I mean, just looking from the eye test, he looks like an NBA. He looks like an NBA player out there, um, and and he really it looks easy for him against the uh, the weaker opponents. But that was an important test to make sure that he looked legitimate. And I I don't know how you could watch that game and feel like his start has been fluky. So I've kind of been on this this train all year um, of really touting the fact that like David Fisdale, if there's one word that you associate with him, um, it's aggressiveness. He wants his guys to be aggressive. He wants his guys to push the action. He wants his guys to kind of, you know, um, act first and think, I don't know, fifth or sixth. Is Morant kind of cut out in that mold? Yeah. I mean, he's certainly going to be a guy who, uh, who Fisdale gives a green light to, I mean, the decision-making and, and the recklessness with his passes sometimes, you know, he's got to tone it down. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a guy who could put pressure on defenses, and that's what the Knicks need. That's something Frank can't do because he doesn't have that blow-by first step. He's not going to break down defenses. Morant is, man, he flies out there uh, constantly getting into the lane, uh, which opens up, obviously, open shots for his teammates while he's averaging nine assists per game you know, without a great supporting cast. So I think his value, Moran's value, one of the things that Fisdale is going to value is his ability to get into the paint and open up shots for other guys. And obviously those other guys, uh, the two big ones are going to be Porzingis and Kevin Knox, hopefully by next year. Yeah. Um, last thing before we move on from Moran, I had uh, Spencer Perlman on a couple of days ago and he kind of just had some concerns about his his shooting form mm-hmm. is that something i mean clearly like you said earlier you referenced it's, it's not great um is that something you think that they could fix with like a shooting coach with you know the right work or, or maybe i should ask does this kid have seemingly the work ethic it's going to take to fix that on his own yeah the jury's still out on that um i haven't interviewed him yet i, I think scouts are still trying to figure out who he is um particularly off the floor but uh I, you know I think there are different degrees of fix. Can they improve it? Sure. I don't know if he's ever going to be a high-level shooter, and I agree with Spencer. His mechanics, not every shot looks the same and uh, doesn't get great separation uh, pulling up off the dribble, just 6 of 27 off the dribble this year, I think. And uh, the three ball is getting better. He's, I think he's doubling his three-point mix per game this season. He shoots 80% from the free-throw line, which is always a promising sign when, when scouting. So I, I think he's got the chance to become a serviceable shooter. And, you know, just like Fox, Fox left college at 24% from downtown. He doesn't have to, based on his other strengths in terms of getting to the basket, he doesn't have to be Steph Curry out there. He just has to make the open ones and be threatening enough uh, to keep defenders honest. And this early in Morant's career, I'm not going to write off that he can't eventually do that. Okay, well, that's, um, that's good to hear. <laughs> I know a lot of Knicks fans are already excited about him. Um, not as excited about him as they are about Zion. Um, I, you probably already blew in the face from talking about this kid. And if you're not already, I'm sure you will be within the next few months. I, the only question I want to ask you in terms of Williamson is I, I know some people out there have him in like 
there's the Zion tier, and then there's like an empty tier, and then there's everybody else. Are are you that high on him, or are you more like it's him and Barrett, and then everybody else? No, I think it's him, and then I think there's an ocean, and then I think there's Barrett. Uh, and again, this is this is I don't think this is the next LeBron, but I, I do think this field is so uh, underwhelming at this point. And that could always change, you know, in three years, you find out some of these guys develop late. But just based on what we're looking at right now, there's no obvious answer um, at number three. And even Barrett, I mean, I have a lot of questions about how good Barrett's going to be a discussion for another time. But, yeah, I do think Williamson is in the tier of his own. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a question whoever gets the first pick is going to take him. I think he'd fit perfectly in New York uh, next to Porzingis, who you know likes to play out in the perimeter and, uh, and struggles to defend the perimeter uh, at least relatively speaking, and Zion is just a physical monster down low and a very competent defender around the perimeter. So before we move on from the draft, one other question. I, I want us to move into uh, an imaginary world. Uh, it's it's the one that exists only in my dreams, <laughs> where starting tomorrow, uh, Frank Nilakina gets uh, an injection of um, – he gets an injection of that green stuff that they gave Logan at the end of uh, the, the movie uh, <laughs> last, last year um, and becomes the player that we all want him to be. And thus, there is no longer a need for the Knicks to draft a point guard. After, let's pretend for a moment that Zion and, and RJ are gone. Um, if the Knicks were to go in another direction, a, a different position, who's uh, the guy that you or is there a guy that you would target for them at this point other than Morant? I think Cam Reddish from Duke is the guy, uh, you know, who's probably on the majority of boards at number three right now. Um, again, he hasn't done anything to solidify himself as the next best guy. He, the same questions that popped up in high school continue to pop up now. He, he's not very assertive. Sometimes you forget he's in the game. You know, he has those one of eight performances where seven of his shots are threes. Uh, but in terms of natural talent, He's, I think he's number three when you, when you talk about size, 6'8", athlete, uh, can handle the ball in pick and rolls. It's a very effortless shooting stroke that you, you really feel confident is going to uh, translate. And he's shown some nice flashes defensively and the guy who has the tools to defend a couple of positions. I think that you know, based on this field, the Knicks will certainly look at him and say, okay, let's ignore college, which can kind of um, mask a player's potential and abilities. Uh, I'd even say that Kentucky did that with Knox. And so uh, particularly with, with uh, Zion and Barrett taking all the touches at Duke and Trey Jones, you know, the offense running through him as well. It's not really a great situation for Reddish to, uh, to really showcase everything he has. So I, I think the Knicks will kind of give him a look and, and try and see if college really hindered him or held him back. And maybe he will be a guy who's a better pro than college player. That will probably be the case. And uh, I think he do fits on the wing. I think him and uh, Knox can be interchangeable at the, at the forward spots. And so, uh, yeah, Reddish would probably be the next guy I'd look at. Can, real quick before we move on from him and, and get to Knox, a guy you just mentioned, can Cam play shooting guard at the next level or is he just, is it too big? Um, I think he can. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned about uh, actually giving someone the difference between a two and a three. You know, what is the difference? It really is who, who you're guarding. Sure. And yeah. uh, I think, I think he's going to be able to guard twos. I think he's going to be able to guard threes, maybe even some fours with his six eight size and seven plus wingspan, uh, and yeah, put him at the two for a little bit. He can handle the ball and pick and rolls, and uh, put enough pressure with his with his dribbles to to play a guard position. So I don't, I wouldn't stop. You know, that wouldn't be the reason why I don't take Reddish because uh, not knowing if he can play the two or not. Gotcha. Um, 
Perfect. So, uh, good transition to Kevin Knox. Um, let's say this. I, I know you were high on Knox's talent coming into the draft. Would that be fair to say? High on his talent. I questioned, uh, questioned, I guess, not the upside because he had upside. Uh, how long it would take, I questioned how important fit would be for him to get to his ceiling. But uh, I thought it was the right pick at the time. Ironically, the, the two guys who I was – you know, going back and forth between for the Knicks was Kevin Knox and Mikael Bridges, who are like complete opposites. Bridges, 22 years old and more of a three and D ceiling guy, whereas Knox is, you know, not even 19 when he first starts his NBA career um, and is more of a, a scorer with high upside. But uh, I think they made the right call uh, just based on taking the best talent available at number nine. I, I was about to say my, my question was going to be, do we know if they've made the right call yet? Because obviously we're seeing Knox, you know, he has the propensity to score. Um, have are, are there still certain things that based on everything you've done in terms of scouting Knox over, over the years that we still need to see for you to feel comfortable enough saying this guy is going to be a really good pro? Yeah, I think he needs to improve his on-ball creativity. Uh, at Kentucky, the whole season, he was 4 of 18 out of isolation. A lot of his work, and this is not a bad thing, a lot of his work comes off the ball, you know, curling around screens and spotting up and getting out in transition, uh, and he can attack in a straight line. But, you know, against, I think if you want him to be a top option in your offense against a set defense, you know, final 10 seconds of a shot clock, you want him to be able to create a good enough shot for himself I don't think he's got the handle right now or the one-on-one delivery to execute consistently enough out of those situations. So I think if he really wants to maximize the potential to be a, be a 23-point game scorer, uh, he's got to get better at creating his own shot once the game you know, really slows down against the set defense. Um, last thing on Knox, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think that the Knicks are defending somewhere on the level of the, the Washington Generals when he's on the floor. Is that something the Knicks should be concerned about long time, long term, or is do you think he has just physically what it takes to be a guy who's going to be able to defend um, wings in this league, and then I guess eventually maybe you know slot down and defend some bigger guys? Yeah, I mean, no rookies. It's so rare that a rookie comes in and he's actually a good defender. So uh, you know, the bar is low no matter who he is in your first year in the league. Of course, he has uh, the tools to be a good defender with the size and the length. Uh, and his mobility. Um, coming out of college, I didn't grade him out as a very good defender in terms of awareness. But uh, there are always those sequences where you know he's engaged and you, and you see he moves his feet well and he contests shots. So um, it, it's really anybody's guess whether or not he can convert those flashes into consistent defensive effort and eventually improve his defensive IQ. But I'd say right now his defensive IQ uh, is lower than you'd like it to be. Okay. Um Perfect transition to someone else and maybe a couple quick ones and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, Frank Nilakina, uh, someone whose defensive IQ along with, you know, a lot of other aspects of, of defense, uh, has graded out pretty highly in his year plus in the league on offense. It's a very different story. Um, I looked up a stat earlier today out of 159 players this year getting at least, um, 20 minutes a game and have played 10 games. Um, and have at least a 16 usage. He is dead last in true shooting. Uh, yeah. Um, and and I say this as a fan. I love this kid, and and there is a, a big part of me who is perhaps irrationally convinced he's going to figure out a way to be successful. What I want to ask you, as someone who watches a, a fair amount of Knicks games, is 
do you think well two part question do you think he's going to be successful and if he does do you think it's going to happen in New York exactly I was ready to say I do think he'll be successful I don't think it'll be in New York it's just not a good fit for him he's uh, listen he's he never, even in even in France you know he played shooting guard because he's not a, a big time creator and if you're going to play point guard in this league you got to be able to beat your guy off the dribble and he doesn't do it consistently enough he's just not uh, that fast or quick twitch of an athlete and uh man when he has a bad game you could just he gets so down da- it's where's it on confi- his face he wears it all over him his confidence is just so badly affected by a bad game um and uh you know by season number two you'd at least expect that to improve he knows what he's seeing every night in terms of nba athletes and uh it's just frustrating to see um, what a bad game or a couple of missed shots will, will do to his confidence and, and his overall body language and his aggressiveness. Uh, I do think he will be an NBA. He's an NBA player. I mean, you know, he's not a DMP guy. I know he's getting them right now, but put him on a team where uh, he's got some scores and playmakers around him and uh, his he can play to his strengths. As I think he'll eventually be a decent enough open shot maker and uh, an opportunistic score, you know, when the defense gives him something, and obviously his own defense is what his NBA identity is built around: locking down around the perimeter, switching, you know, uh, reacting off the ball. That's his bread and butter. That's what's going to make him money in this league. But based on the Knicks' current roster, um, I, I just don't think he's really good enough or athletic athletic enough to, to create uh, to generate his own offense at a good enough rate right now. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the trade deadline. Uh, you hate to see him give up on the 20, 20 year old this early with with such you know solid tools and a really good person, a high character guy who teammates seem to love. But I think he's really, if he wants to uh, blow up and start moving up the ladder, it's going to probably be somebody else. Do you, uh, um, I'm curious what before we move on from him, what type of team do you do you think that is? Just a team that has more offensive um, creators, such that he could kind of be like the fifth guy on the floor and his scoring doesn't matter as much? Exactly. I mean, uh, making a fifth guy on the floor, you know, when I, I, I compared him out of, out of uh, France to um, Malcolm Brogdon, and I know there are differences physically, but Brogdon is, uh, I, I don't know if he's a point guard or a shooting guard, but uh, he makes open shots, he moves the ball, and he defends. And, you know, occasionally he, he creates, right? But that's not what you really need him out there to do. And I think he... Uh, Frank's got to find a similar role as what Brogdon has in Milwaukee. Um, last two before I let you go, because um, like you said, you watch a lot of Knicks games and you clearly, I, I see your tweets on this team and, and I generally agree with them 100%. What is um, one thing you liked about this team so far this year and one thing that you really haven't liked? And <laughs> a, a player, uh you know, the coaching, I mean, whatever. And I, I have to limit you to one answer for the things that you haven't liked because um, we, I think, have a, a three-hour limit on this podcast. So, if, if... <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, listen, if you live in New York a lot, you're used to high-priced players who don't always play hard or smart. And at least these guys seem to be playing hard. Um, and uh, even, even, on their, even when they're blown out, there's still something interesting to follow whether it's you know Knox who has a, a green light and obviously plenty of confidence he's going to take 20 shots a game you know whether he's making them or not um, you love to see you know Mitchell Robinson flying around the floor having no idea what he's doing but still making <laughs> things happen um, and uh, and Trier is obviously a, a nice fun pickup and uh, to see that the Knicks got a freebie with him I mean that's 
that's that's fun. What's not fun is just uh, they don't have. There's nothing they can bank on any night. It's, they don't have anything to bank on defensively. They don't have uh, any bankable offensive players. I hate. I, I know you have to have Tim Hardaway. Nothing against no, Tim Hardaway. No, you could say it. You could say it. It's, it's, just, it's the truth. You know, I hate that they waste 20 shots on him, and I hate that they waste 15 shots a game on Cantor. Who they? I mean, other, they'd be a real joke uh, if they didn't have those guys. I don't know how they'd. You know, score eighty points a game, but you know sometimes you're watching right, and, and you're just like, okay, I just want, I just want Trier shooting. I want Knox with the ball. I want Frank with the ball. I want Mitchell Robinson getting lob opportunities, and then you see, you know, Hardaway taking twenty shots a game, and fifteen of them are contested, uh, and it's just frustrating to watch them waste possessions on guys uh, like that when, when it's the young guys who really need the touches and development. But uh, at the same time, I, I do understand that they need to put a roster out there and compete. Uh, to some degree, and Hardaway and Cantor help them do that. Uh, okay, I, I lied. One very last quick one. Is Tim Hardaway Jr. tradable right now um, without attaching an asset, in your opinion? No. I, don't, I mean, I don't see it. I know there are teams that could use him. Uh, listen, the guy could put the ball in the basket, and he could do it uh, in a hurry. He'll get you 10 points in, in a couple minutes. Uh, and I think it, his streak scoring uh, to certain teams is uh, attractive and valuable. But I don't think anyone's going to give up anything for him and i don't see the knicks um attaching anything valuable uh in terms of long-term assets just to move him so uh, i i think he sticks around i obviously they when they signed him um they they like him as a person and they want him um in terms of building culture he's a good guy so i expect him to uh at least finish out most of his contract in new york Jonathan Wasserman, um, I cannot thank you enough for the time today. I, and I, you know, I feel like I say this a lot, but I also feel like we have quality guests on this podcast, so I don't <laughs> feel too bad. But you're, what I love about the stuff that you, you put out is I, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't feel like you go for the hot take, which it's just, there's a lot of that with, with draft stuff going around. And um, you just clearly, thoroughly think this stuff through, through and, uh, you do your homework, man. I mean, <laughs> that much is very, very clear. Um, and it's it's really it's great to know that that we have someone out there who, for Knicks fans like me, who just don't have time to watch these college guys, um, I could give your stuff a quick read, and and it it informs me on what I need to know. So, uh, thank you for today, and and thank you for that generally as well. Of course, I'm blushing. Um, kind words, and and just uh, being a draft guy and being a guy who lives in New York, lives in New York for thirty plus years, uh, when the Knicks. When the Knicks stink, it's uh, a little more fun for me. Obviously, when, it comes, <laughs> when it comes draft time, I hate to say it, but uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting, um, interesting upcoming and important upcoming draft uh, for New York. We'll see if they can get that top pick because uh, winning the lottery could literally change the entire direction of the franchise. Your lips to God's ears, man, please. Um, <laughs> all right. Once again, Jonathan Wasserman, you can check all of his stuff out on Bleacher Report. He's an, um, If you're not following him on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, go follow him right now. He's an awesome follow. Thank you again so much for joining. And, of course, to everybody out there listening, uh, thank you for giving us some of your holiday time of year. And we will be back with you um, with another episode. Uh, actually, we've got a post-game podcast coming up after the Bucks game on Thursday night. So that's the next time you'll have us. Uh, until then, have a great one, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya.